Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. You know, when you think of Las Vegas and Atlantic City, New Jersey, of course, you think of gambling, entertainment, wine, women's song, all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, these two venues are also suitable for UFO conferences. So, for example, about a year and a half ago, I attended the Crash Retrieval Conference in Las Vegas. And just very recently, David Biedney and his entourage <laughs> went to Atlantic City. David, can you set this up? Yeah. So, in perusing the wonderful Internet, Dr. Sue and I found this uh, conference, the Atlantic Coast UFO Conference, and uh, it seemed like there was an interesting lineup of speakers, some people who we've had on the show, some people who we haven't had on the show. It's kind of an interesting lineup, and hey, it's on the East Coast. How bad can that be? So I sent off an email to the person putting it together. Very nice lady by the name of Jackie wrote back and said, hey, the attendance at this point isn't too high, so uh, if you want to bring some people down, you're welcome to be my guest at the conference, which I thought was very gracious. And so Dr. Sue, my lovely girlfriend, who uh, people who listen to the show have heard me reference more than a few times, so here we go. She finally decided to come on the show because uh, Susan came down with me to Atlantic City, and um, we were kind of going to go do this as a... Uh, really sort of a sick and twisted version of a Valentine's Day weekend <laughs> spent with the... And she and you're sick and she's twisted, is that how it goes? <laughs> um, I'm not sure about how the, the, the delineation of that goes. What do you think, Susan? I guess we switch back and forth. Yeah, we're <laughs> pretty good that way. We both we're do pretty switch. Good like that. Boom. Anyway, so we got <laughs> down and um, Jeremy decides at the last minute that uh, he's going to come down as well because he's just got to come and have fun with us, don't you, Jeremy? That, that's correct. And uh, you decided to actually, truth be told here, uh, by the time people listen to this, Jeremy's podcast about the conference is up on his website, and he'll tell you more about that later. Uh, I highly recommend that everybody go listen to it because, well, as we talk this evening, we'll discover that Jeremy captured on his trusty little voice recorder some of the more, shall we say, special moments of the event. Special moments? Jeremy, what are you holding out on us about? Well, they they <laughs> special in, in every sense of the term. The, the Probably the grandest of them all, I would have to say, is uh, Dr. Lynn Katai, another doctor, funny enough. Um, it did, did a, a fantastic, in every sense of that word, presentation on uh, the Phoenix Lights, and then ended it by singing the theme song to An American Tale. And what was funny about that, besides that, was um, I knew she was going to do it. Like she, she started talking about how she always wanted to be a performer, and she, uh, you know, was talking about singing in some group at some point. And I was like, oh my god, this woman's, this woman's gonna sing. So I immediately took out the recorder and captured the entire thing. And then, you know, when you listen to it, while I'm in the room, I'm, I'm calm, and I'm sort of saying, now I've seen everything. And as I headed toward the door, uh, I just, laughter, vomit, just smacked me. And I had to run from the place and go be alone and taped uh, my maniacal laugh, which has become popular as well. Okay, so this is like the gong show. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I mean, we learned that from the X conference. It's like the gong show. All right, well. It's more like American Idol. Yeah, but this yeah. is this is when they take the people and they dismiss them. Absolutely. And, and they say, you have no talent. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we had Dr. Lynn on the show here, and she talked normally, but she seemed a little bit hyper to me. 
as you probably recall, folks. But I didn't think of her as a singer. Uh, well, you won't you when you hear it either. That's that's the amazing thing. Oh boy! All right. So during this, I assume there was some vague effort to have serious discussions about UFOs. So who wants to jump into that? Well, well, here's the thing. So uh, we get there Saturday morning. Apparently, Jeremy had been searching for us because he's just kind of lonely at these things. I guess. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, he, he wanted to these things. Yeah, I know. sorry to hear that. Um, you know, they have medication for that. Jerry, uh, <laughs> we'll go there. This is going to be. This is. Oh, by the way, let me just qualify this. This is almost like an April Fool's episode of the Paracast. This is. I want to. I want to qualify this because we're going to have listeners who who are going to hear this and go, "This is like the most self-indulgent episode of the show ever." And you know what? You get what you pay for. So <laughs> that, that that qualified because we got to have some fun every now and then. Doesn't happen very often. But uh, this is every now and then. So we go to the. I'm every now and you're late for breakfast. There's enough to go around for everybody. Don't worry. Okay. So we we show up Saturday morning and we walk in. Susan and I walk in towards the end of uh, Don Ledger's presentation, which was a pretty exhaustive talk. I mean, you know, almost exhaustive to the point of being almost a little too much about the Shag Harbor episode. You know, very interesting case, and uh, apparently Don had been presenting quite a bit of information. One of the things that I want to qualify about the weekend was that, theoretically speaking, speakers had an hour and a half to do their presentations, and uh, one of the things that we found out is that maybe that's a little bit too long. 45 minutes to an hour is probably much more manageable, just because people come with a huge amount of information, and in some cases, one could argue, almost too much information. You know, there's a there is an argument that there are times when concision would be a, would be a, a useful technique. We'll, we'll let Jerry, Jeremy, Jerry, Jerry. See, now this is sticking, man. This is George Snorri talking to Gene Steinberg, Jeremy Vaney, and and Doctor Sue. Doctor, don't you have that show where you gave away the cars that time? Anyway, that's Doctor Phil. I always get. I think I'll have an injection for you later. Nice. That's good, honey. Thank you for sharing that on the air. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we walk in, and uh, we, we can't laugh so much. This is not the comedy show, though Jeremy will take it there later. So, you know, Don Ledger comes off, and he was actually pretty good, though. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, you have a little story about that. Well, yeah, it was, um, you know, Friday night there were festivities that I think we both must have missed. Um, yeah. I was disappointed in that. <clears throat> so I spent most of my time sort of wandering around Atlantic City being uh, thwarted at every turn for whatever I wanted to do. And I thought that might be indicative of what was ahead in the weekend. But then when we actually got to Don Ledger, who was the first speaker, uh, a, a good ten minutes into his speech, uh, he he had to run to the bathroom. And I thought that might be even more indicative of the weekend. Look, when you got to go, you got to go. I mean, <laughs> as you get older, young young Jedi, you will t- you will discover that uh, you sort of start to lose control over your bodily functions, as it were. Um, Listen, David, speak for yourself. Being the senior member of this cast and crew, I resemble that remark rather severely. Gene, when you get the acid indigestion going and you get the repeating happening, I mean, it sounds like you got uh, uh, some kind of a gas factory in your throat. So, well, some people think that the gas comes out when I speak. Might be right. Okay, but we don't want to get into this. Uh, this is no. getting a little bit raunchy. Okay, and uh, for my next joke. So, uh, <laughs> so Ledger was, was pretty good. Interesting cat. And I know should we should we do this in in uh, chronological order? What do you think? Yeah, why not? 
I've got it right here. I have it here, too, so that'd be an easy way to go through. All right, you're all good. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but after uh, Ledger, it was, it wasn't Kathy Martin, was it? No, 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 Paola. That's right. Oh, see, now I'm blocking that. That's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I've got the mental block going on. Because mm-hmm. she had to certainly be, in a sick kind of a way, the, the highlight of Saturday. Now, let's qualify this. Uh, she's been around the scene for a long time. She uh, she knows a lot of people in the field, and this seems really to be her biggest qualification. She knows a lot of people. She gave a presentation, which, well, I guess I'll sum it up this way. Afterwards, when she was outside signing the products that she was selling that she had mentioned many times during the presentation, I walked up to her and was asking her some questions. Uh, Maybe I was being a little hard on her, but after sitting through the presentation, which we'll talk about in great depth in mere moments here, I uh, I felt there were some issues and some problems. All right. Anyway, I walked out after a presentation to, uh, to ask her some questions and to speak with her, and it got really strange and one of the things that happened is that when people give a presentation it's always useful to have some amount of organization it really is it's a basic skill involved in doing effective presentations there's an old saying talk about you know here's the three steps to giving a presentation talk about what you're going to talk about ahead of time then do the actual presentation and the third part is reflect upon what you just spoke about tie any loose themes together and segue out in a reasonable and in a controlled fashion. These three rules were completely thrown out the window by Paula. She just basically got up there, and it was like an hour and a half stream of consciousness involving extensive name-dropping, juxtaposition of imagery in a way that was downright just schizophrenic. And, And I took her to task because during her presentation, she said... Billy Meyer is the real deal. He's the real thing. She gushed about the veracity of the Meyer case, which we don't have to tell our listeners is a huge issue. <laughs> Certainly for me, probably for you, Gene. I know that Jeremy likes to believe in it, but um, how about Dr. Sue? Do you believe in? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Absolutely not. Those are good guys. One on farmer. I mean, you can't argue with a one-armed farmer taking all those amazing photos by himself. Okay, did he do it with his foot or one of his arms? The one that he used to have or the one that he was left with? I think with? he flogged the camera with his bad arm using his good arm. I'm pretty sure that's how that went. All right. So basically, this particular person believes in the one-armed farmer. Well, here's where it gets weird. I mean, she she talked about the case as if it were a genuine, legitimate case. She talked about a bunch of stuff. I mean, she referred to Stephen Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer, as a warrior. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess when you see how pumped out he is and when how bulked up he is, I wouldn't want to fight the guy. Don't get me wrong. He's a More monster. American gladiator. <laughs> yeah, he's a monster. He's, he's apparently been working out. I have a funny little story about that I'll tell later on. But so I walked up to her. I didn't th- there weren't name tags. I didn't have a name tag on. So I was basically anonymous. Walked up to her. Hi Paula. I was just in there listening to your presentation. You mentioned Billy Meyer. You know, what are you doing? What is that? And so she then right to my face said, "Well, I, I didn't say he was the real thing. I didn't say he was for real." And it's like we're just in there. You said this. So she started to backtrack immediately and then went to this whole thing about how Oh, you know, he probably had some legitimate experiences, but once the Figu people got involved and turned it into a religion, then I sort of 
got sour on it. And I said to her, well, you were just in there up on the stage talking about how wonderful he is. Well, you know, uh, you have to understand, I'm a journalist. I just present the information and let you make up your own mind. Have we heard that before, guys? Oh, yes. So yeah. She used the J word before we use any other words. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. Here's an offer for your listener. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFO-MAGA. Or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com. And they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA. And they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. David's brought along his entourage, Dr. Sue, of course, and, of course, Jeremy Vaney joining us, talking about this particular event sponsored by Atlantic Coast UFO Conferences. It took place the weekend of February 15th, 16th, 17th at the beautiful, it says here, it says beautiful right here, although it Looks like I see it's a bad-looking spaceship photo. The beautiful Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. And there we go. So now you're talking with this particular person about her belief in the one-armed man. And Jeremy walks up and joins the conversation. Jeremy. <laughs> well, you're, you're being slightly kind when, when you say that you, you were speaking to her about this. You were actually hunched over her desk in her face uh, saying, What do you mean? <laughs> Which I found to be a little scary myself. Well, that's David being nice. <laughs> <laughs> but not, not um, unworthy of it, certainly, because she 
you know, yeah, she 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 does all that. She basically says, um, my my big question for her was, why do you have clearly hoaxed information up on the you know uh, juxtaposed against real you know unidentified phenomena? I mean, why would you even do that if you want to be taken as credible? And she says, you know, I'm a reporter. My job as a reporter is to just put everything out there. And then she basically said she's a dictaphone. She said, I'm not a reporter so much as I feel like a historian. Uh, what's the word? What's the word? I mean, you know, a scribe. I, I don't know what the word would be. But she's really not any of those things. She's just sort of, um, it was pretty clear from the beginning of her talk that, the, well, she said the way she got into ufology was she was watching Close Encounters, and it gave her such an emotional charge that she felt like this has to be real. There has to be something to this. And that's pretty much how she deals with everything. That's that's how people like Stephen Greer and Billy Meyer um, remain credible in her eyes because she meets them and she thinks they're real based on some emotional impulse and some will to believe. I mean, that's that. And apparently, it doesn't it doesn't matter how much um, contrary evidence you come up with. I mean, basically, she had uh, the O'Hare photos up there, right, which Dave and um, Jeff Ritzman debunked two of two of the three that she had shown. And I said to her. Are you going to now, now knowing, now here's Dave Biedney, and this was her introduction to Dave Biedney. She didn't know who he was up until this, and I didn't realize that because I just walked in on it. I figured they knew who each other were. Uh, so, and I said, now, now that you've got him in front of you, the man who has actually debunked two of the three photos, and he's telling you they're, they're uh, hoaxes, will you take them out of your presentation? And she said no, because the point isn't to put up um, all credible evidence. It's to make the PowerPoint presentation flashier by having three images that indicate O'Hare as opposed to the one image. I thought, you know, this is just so wrong. It's right. No, it's just so wrong that I don't understand how she doesn't see it, you know? But clearly she doesn't. There's this disconnect. I mean, I don't not believe what she's telling me. I just think she's... Uh, Incredibly, how you say, stupid. Well, that's oh. that's kind of harsh. But Susan, yeah. as someone who is sort of cutting into this topic, I don't want to say from the outside, but much less obsessed about it than most of us and our listeners. What was your take on Paula's presentation? Well, at first, I was very intrigued by what she was saying because she presented herself as someone who wanted to be very objective who was interested in presenting all points of view, who wanted, who was encouraging all of the folks who were interested in ufology around the world to share information and to work together to come up with some greater understanding of what was going on. And she presented herself as a journalist who was really an information gatherer who had the opportunity to meet many different people and, was, and had the funding and the opportunity to bring people to Italy to meet in large conferences to do this sharing collaboration. But then she kind of left out the part of a journalist a journalist role to edit information and to really add some kind of a spin to it. And as Jeremy said, you know, putting images up that were incorrect or presenting an image and adding kind of an editorial comment to it that wasn't objective at all. And one particular image that stood out in my mind, she had, it was an image of a cross and it was, I guess, four or five different ships that had appeared in the sky over 
Nova, Florida, I guess it was in 2005. And when she put this image up, she said, you know, what could this possibly be? And can you imagine this appeared over the Florida sky? So anyway, she said after she shows this incredible, you know, array of the, that's in the sky over Florida, she adds to it the comment that this was just two months before Katrina. And was this some kind of a warning? So now she's put this whole different spin on the image that was there. And, you know, to say that she was trying to be objective and trying to just present the facts and, you know, putting stuff out there as if it's, it's truth and adding her own subjectivity to it really, to me, kind of took her completely away from what she theoretically was putting out there at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, she kind of lost a little bit of her credibility in my eyes at that point. There was an interesting thing about when she put that image up. There was um, not really much of a discussion about where it came from. I look yeah. at that image, and it looks to me almost like a clear example of a retouched photograph. It really did. And that's, that's what really stuck out in my mind about it. I thought, well, that's not real. And unfortunately, what happens with Paula during a presentation, as has already been pointed out, is that she throws good images up with bad images. Now, this is basic, basic stuff. That O'Hare set of images, you have the... The one very questionable image that Jeff and I were very intrigued by up at the top, but then down below, there are two images that we debunked within like 10 minutes of them being put up on Above Top Secret. And they were just obviously faked. And here's the thing. In order for her to get these images, she had to have seen the context of them having been debunked. So, Jeremy, you know, when I said to you before that it was kind of cruel to call her, you know, stupid to use that word, what, what I would replace it with is she was not in any way using critical thinking or any kind of rational approach. This was just basically to pull stuff down willy-nilly off the web and just throw it onto PowerPoint slides, ostensibly to fill the screen with something. Which, when, when you're saying, okay, I'm someone who's going out there and doing the hard work, she kept reemphasizing and reinforcing the idea that she's going out into the field, she's speaking to people. You have to speak to people. I mean, Jeremy, when you, when you said to her the thing about the Billy Meyer case, that you didn't think that that toy gun was very convincing, she said, well, you haven't been there, you haven't met him, as if this were some kind of a qualifier in order to have an opinion about what's obviously a nonsensical image. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how how this doesn't equal stupid. Because basically, what she's saying in total is, uh, what I would like is for all of ufology to get together. You know, have the crop circle researchers gather their information. You know, and so on and so forth on down the line of various specific fields, and then have them sort of uh, cross connect with each other, which is great. I'm all for that. But then she talks about her colleagues, and she includes in her colleagues that she would like to do this, all of them, <laughs> the Billy Meyer people, the, uh, you know, any contactee, you know, she had that contactee in Italy, she showed footage from that guy, which was, looked to me like, you know, like a, some sort of balloon that was on a high-speed shutter, and, you know, but who knows, it's neither here nor there, but, but she said that he is doling out footage in chunks. He didn't just give her the entire tape. He's giving it to her in sections, which is already suspicious. And she just has no suspicion of any of these people. And so I don't really I don't really know what else to call that. If if you honestly think that putting very questionable material with known hoax material with good material all together, if you think that that is going to produce the result of, you know, the, the media taking this seriously and all of the cross sections of ufology getting together to work together, you're out of your mind. Well, she doesn't seem to have a concept then of what it means to edit your content. You just serve like a tape recorder. You record it, you play it back, and you say, now I'm a journalist. 
Right. That's what it seemed to be. And it looked like she was, you know, appealing to the greatest, lowest denominator that was there. You know, I'll just pull everything out and just put it all out there on the table. And, you know, like Jeremy said, she was hoping that all of this is going to kind of mix up in some kind of a soup and that they might work together. But I don't think it's going to work. It's going to be UFO soup. <laughs> yeah. Minestrone, actually, she called it. That's oh. right. She, that's it. Minestrone. Oh, yeah. man, you throw everything in one pot, you know, and that's yeah, just not I, the way. I, I always pick out the beans, you know. <laughs> okay, so we had, therefore, UFO soup. So we have this UFO soup person. Now, the thing I still want to get back to is she's talking to you, debating you, David, and then she finds out your true identity. And, you know, I've got to think that she was about ready to faint at that point. At that point, she went off into two separate directions. One of, oh, I didn't know who you were. I said to her, what does it matter? I'm just another curious individual here at the conference. Well, she said, and I think this is actually captured in Jeremy's recording of the little episode, because he had walked up with his little voice recorder and at some point hit the record button, not early enough to catch some of the harsher things said, but I yeah, basically said to her, you know, well, she said, I didn't know who you were. And I said to her, you didn't ask. I mean, that's the other thing uh, that I have to share in that one of the things that I really came away from this uh, this weekend with, that one of these things I've noticed about people who get into these topics is that a lot of these people, and this is going to sound cruel, but I'll just throw it out there, that they have certain socialization issues. A lot of these people are set on, on autopilot. They talk, 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 and they barely listen to anything you say because they're talking, 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 which gets pretty dull. You know, conversation is a repartee. It's a discourse. You, you, you have back and forth going on. Paula, when I was talking to her, once she realized who I was, then there was this duality thing of, okay, now maybe I better listen to what he's saying. Except then she was also then getting defensive. She said, well, I don't do anonymous. And I said, well, now you know who I am. Nice to meet you. Now let's continue this. But at that point, she kind of started to play the social game. Oh, I know you from some list or something. It's like, doesn't matter who I am. doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the personality is completely outside of the actual topic. But truth be told, a lot of her presentation was really about name dropping. And it was about talking about how close she was to, to Heineck, you know, how she brought people to Italy. She brought James Fox to Italy. She brought uh, Phil Corso to Italy. I mean, you know, it, it's this thing where these people have got to put themselves on pedestals, which qualifier, people who listen to the Paracast often say that I'm guilty of this, that I put myself on a pedestal. Susan, who knows me pretty well, I mean, what do you think? Well, you know what? We're not going to make this about me because that's making it about the personalities. Backtrack. Today, whether you're in business or simply want to share something with friends or family, email and voicemail sometimes just aren't enough. That's why you should try GoToMeeting, a web conferencing solution that will revolutionize how you communicate with your business associates, family, and friends. The ability to host online meetings is an absolute must for today's business. With GoToMeeting.com, it's just like you're all in the same room. Unlimited meetings for one flat rate means you can meet as often as you want for as long as you need. Try it yourself, free for 30 days. Just visit gotomeeting.com forward slash tech podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com forward slash tech podcasts. Try GoToMeeting free today.
You're on the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney and David's close friends, Dr. Sue, his very, very close friend, and of course, Jeremy Vanny, who's been on the show before. But okay, so this particular close encounter, you were there with David, Dr. Sue. How were you reacting when he was engaged in this debate? With Powell? Susan, yeah, Susan wasn't there. She was in, She was actually back in the hall. Okay, so yes, you didn't I, see this. this is, Jeremy captured quite a bit of it on tape, though, which was uh, which is pretty good. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't start taping right away until I had my own questions for my own show because I thought it would be unethical. So I didn't want to just sneak in there with a recorder and start recording this conversation, which is unfortunate because in the end it was a pretty amazing uh, bloodbath. You know, it, it ultimately what happened was I just sort of lost interest essentially, because I, I knew where she was going with this. And I walked away. And apparently, right after I walked away, what did she say to you, Jeremy? Oh, well, she was talking about, um, you know, once again, going over qualifications, talking about, well, I worked with Hynek, which is something apparently he doesn't care about. Like it means anything. I mean, ultimately, yeah, and, and so it was very frustrating. Um, oh, I did have to say one thing, though, before we move on to the next presenter. She asked me, so what did you think, after I confronted her with the Billy Meyer stuff, she said, what did you think of my presentation? I looked at her and I said, do you want the honest truth about it? She's like, yeah, yeah, I want you to tell me. And I gave it to her. I was blunt about it. Uh, I told her what I thought. I told her that she was disorganized. She was not focused, uh, that she did a little too much name dropping. Uh, you know, I told her what I thought. And let me tell you, she wasn't thrilled to hear that. And, you know, I got the, well, I'm an educator. And I said, well, yeah, so am I. Except I, I didn't pull out my credentials. I just said, yeah, I'm an educator as well. It would have been easy for me to say, yeah, I'm an educator. I just taught at Yale last semester. I wasn't going to do that. I did it now. I didn't do it to her. I didn't want to get involved at that level of it. So, you know, what, what you've got here is somebody, and, and this, is, this is really relevant. I, I asked her, have you ever seen a UFO? Do you have any UFO experiences? And she said, flat out, no. Now, I'm not trying to say that you have to have seen a UFO to be involved or interested in this topic, but... I'll tell you, for someone to throw their lives into this the way she has, and she was complaining about how nobody funds field research, that she has to spend all of her own money on this, and on and on and on, you know, everybody's a martyr in this field. I had to walk away from it because I realized that there's nothing to be gained here, and ultimately, what do I accomplish by trying to nail, nail her to the wall on any of this stuff? It's not going to change how she's presenting her stuff. It won't. So I basically walked away to go back into the hall where Kathleen Martin was presenting. Now, Susan, you were in on that presentation while I was outside. What did you think of Kathleen? I think Kathleen was terrific. Now, we should explain I, that she is the niece of Betty Hill, right? Correct. Okay, we had her on the show with Stan Friedman a few months back. So what were your reactions, Dr. Sue? Well, I think she gave a very cogent presentation. She was very focused. She was easy to understand. She tried to explain everything in very clear terms, and she really wasn't trying to sell anything, or she didn't focus on herself. She focused on the events, and you know, as kind of a newcomer who didn't, a person who didn't know all that much about Betty and Barney Hill, I learned an incredible amount from listening to Kathleen. I had an interest in reading her book that she had written with Stanton, and. I, I spoke to her afterwards. She, you know, she answered my questions. She was very easy to talk to. I thought she did a really good job. 
Jeremy, what about you? Um, unfortunately, I was still out there chatting up Paula and then her mom, so I missed Kathleen oh, Martin. Well, that's sad. Now, what did you get from Paula's mother? Uh, Paula's mother basically says that she, well, first of all, she said she's never seen anyone confront her daughter like this before. Um, and she said she basically thought that you totally misunderstood where she was coming from. You had no clue what she was saying. And, yeah, I mean, and then it got into this weird, you know, she asked me to turn the recorder off, and I turned it off. Then she started telling me about the way she had met Phil Corso, which sounded like, you know, one of these sort of synchronistic odd experiences of she asked him a question in Italian and at a conference or something and he um, called her backstage after the thing and said she didn't specify what he meant by this but that he was told that a woman would be speaking Italian to him at that conference and so he knew that he had to talk to her or something along those lines and that's how she ended up hooking up with Corso so it was like it was as if you know not not just do you not understand where she's coming from you know with her own arguments but you don't understand that that how she's really involved in this is you know that she's part of the the, the matrix as it were just what was her connection with Corso then uh, just bringing him to Europe to speak about his yeah well just like Paul Hellyer she sure. just went there and started talking to him you know and got him uh, saying whatever he said on on camera I mean that was that that's basically what what she's doing and sometimes what she's doing is good like you know I, I bought the uh, Paul Hellyer DVD because I was interested in what he had to say and if the Phil Corso DVD had been there I would have bought that as well but so you know that's that's two in the plus column <laughs> but it's when you know everything else is thrown into the mix that it gets a little hairy. She mentioned that she had brought um, Corso to Italy twice, and it was the first time he had addressed the Italian public about Roswell, and that there was a huge following for Roswell in Italy, and that they were absolutely thrilled to have him come and speak to them. Well, apparently, I guess he had served in Italy in the Second World War, right, Gene? He, he did, that's what you said. Right. I agree with Dr. Sue. No, yes, he had actually quite a distinguished career as a military officer. But he was, he was stationed out of Italy, I believe. I think so, yes. I'm trying to remember what I read in the book because that gave his credentials. But that definitely shows his connection there. So, And that and his record is what gives him the sense of credibility. It's just when someone may or may not be latching on to him, in this particular case, you wonder about the particular person involved. You know, Dave, there's another thing that she said to me when you left, um, right before I started talking to her mom, Paula, which is, she just like looked up at me and she's like, listen, she got all like, you know, whispery. She's like, listen, I'm just, I'm telling you, you have to believe me. Billy Meyer is real. I know this. I can't tell you how I know this, but I know this. You know, I've, I've got sources. And then she mentioned that whatever the NASA document was that you were going after her about. So there's some NASA document allegedly saying right, 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 Billy right. Meyer is real. Yeah, but yeah, she, she was. It was all. It was all very much again. You know, contradictory. It's. It's not just you take what you want and believe it or not. It's uh, listen. This is all real. You've got to believe me. Well, yeah, she mentioned this uh, document that NASA had sent to some German scientist corroborating that the Billy Meyer images were genuine, and that this was definitive proof that he was having encounters. Now, let's forget the idea that oh, you've got a photograph of a UFO. That means that you're now in touch with the occupants of the UFO because, quite frankly, that's David Sarita territory. That's off in the ether somewhere. That We don't want to go there because it's really sticky. So she mentioned this document, and I said to her, Paula, 
It's a document. It's a piece of paper with a letter, which, of course, she didn't have the document or a copy of it. She, you know, made a reference to it. I said, it's a piece of paper. It's got a NASA letterhead. That's not so impossible to get. But God forbid I should bring that up because now I'm being a skeptical thinker. And, you know, Jeremy, the, the idea that her mother said, well, no one's ever done that to her. I think if that's really true, that speaks volumes about the state of the UFO field. If nobody's going to question someone like Paula who gets up there and really does a disservice. Now, I understand her idea of, hey, I'm interested in this. I'm going out there doing, do, speaking to people in the field. I don't want to call it research because it's not research. It's just speaking to people in the field. That's, that is not research by a long shot. Okay, you want to go out and do that, fine. You want to offer this information to an audience without editorial comment. I'm even okay with that. But it's the contradiction of, oh, I'm offering it, you know, make up your own mind. When you put that next to, oh, and by the way, Billy Meyer's the real thing. You know what, Jeremy? That's not stupid. It's just dishonest. That's what it is. It's it's not an honest thing to present. And so, you know, by definition, then, one looks at everything coming out of her, and now it's all suspect. And and this is what people need to understand about this. You know, the minute you throw one bad piece of bread in it, you know, everything's going to get moldy. That's the deal. But then I went back in and watched the second half of Kathleen Martin's presentation, and Kathleen really was a fresh breath of air in this thing. You know, that she her presentation was good. She kept the pace right. The topic was was interesting. I mean, this is a case that's been gone over ten ways to Sunday, but yet the way she presented it for a lot of people who were there, I suspect, who haven't read her her newest book with Stan Friedman, they were learning things about the case that were relevant. And from somebody who wasn't some you know anonymous third person, this was Betty Hill's niece. So you had someone who knew Betty and had some insight into who Betty was. That's useful. From a research point of view, that's useful. And her presentation went really well. For, for my money, she was t- one of the two good presentations during the weekend. Good in terms of content, presentation style, and relative objectivity. I thought that, you know, that was just phenomenal. And then, well, then we were serenaded. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, oh, gosh. I don't know. Susan, what do you think? So, talk about your initial impression of Dr. Lynn Katai. Oh, well, I have to say, in, in a very, <laughs> to, be, to start off positive, on a positive note, Dr. Uh, Lynn was, she's very sincere. And I think everything she presented, she really presented from her heart. And I, I you know, at first, when she came forward with her um, images of the Phoenix Lights, I think that as a medical professional, she brought a huge amount of credibility to the scene. And um, she had a background in broadcast, and she had done work, um, she mentioned, for NBC as a health reporter, and she'd been working as a health educator. So she brought all of this, you know, huge amount of credibility with her to the to what was going on in Phoenix with the Phoenix Lights. But then, as she was presenting, it became much more personal. At one point, and correct me if, I, if I'm misstating, she talked about how her son had come home from, I mean, he was in college and he'd come home, and her husband had said, gee, let's see if mom can vector in 
the uh, the ship. <laughs> and, and sure enough, you know, they tried this and, and something happened. And she had an image that she presented of, she started talking about her mom who had passed, and there was a picture of a kitten, and there was an arm that appeared in the picture surrounding the kitten. And she equated that to her deceased mom kind of appearing in the image. And then something, she raised another issue, and she said, do you remember the date? I mentioned this before, and it was a coincidence that the date that the Phoenix Lights uh, reappeared uh, was the same, it was the anniversary of her mom's death. And she was making correlations between those kinds of, of events, her personal life and the reappearance of the Phoenix Lights. And so the correlations that she was making were very personal correlations, and I don't know that they would, I could say definitively, those don't hold water if you're doing any kind of statistical analysis. But I think she was sincere about it. Um, whether or not it was accurate, <laughs> well, I'll leave that to the audience. So. Well, the thing is, uh, there is an attempt, I think, to present this idea that different types of paranormal phenomena are connected, that there is some kind of a unifying thread between them. That's not a concept that I think is necessarily flawed. I think there is some there is some real uh, uh, a possibility to that. The problem is the way that it's presented, and in the context in which uh, uh, Katai presented it, it felt very disjointed. It was more like, this is me, this is my personal life, look at the weird things that have happened to me, which is, I don't know, in one way, it's kind of weird because I look at that and I think, well, maybe I should be doing a presentation like that about stuff I've seen. But at the same time, that's not really what this presentation was supposed to be about. This was about the Phoenix Lights. And and, and bringing in these other personal elements, it, it almost had a feeling to it of, I've got an, an hour and a half, I've got to fill it with something. So I'm going to bring in this other stuff that may or may not be connected. It just goes to show that I'm a magnet for the paranormal. She wanted to show she had some kind of intimate connection. With the Phoenix yeah. Lights. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that could be pushing things. Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we have Dr. Sue joining us for the first time in the show, and we hope it is the first of many times. Of course, our old friend Jeremy Vaney. And we're talking about this event sponsored by the Atlantic Coast UFO Conferences in Atlantic City, New Jersey in mid-February. And Dr. Lynn thinks she's a songstress, but I don't want to go there again. Well, Jeremy, what was your take on her overall presentation? Um, 
I basically agree with you, except I don't think she was just trying to fill time. I think she, like, well, really, in a way, like Paula, has this false premise. The premise of her thing was coincidence or communication. Right. And it's false because she has an answer. You know, it's not coincidence to her. So, but, I mean, I think that she has experienced some real um, anomalous stuff. And it's new to her, and because it's new to her, she's still in that phase of trying to connect every dot ever <laughs> into one large pattern of which she is the center of, of it, you know. Right. And I think that's just sort of a, a naive mistake. But I, I don't know. It, it worries me in, in the sense that you brought up, which is, yeah, I mean, if she, if she is of this paranormal thing, if it's all happening to her and she's a, a beacon for it, then what's the next step? The next step is she becomes a leader for it. And right. there's something about that that worries me. I'm not saying that's the way it's going to go, but I'm saying that's the way it usually does, and that worries me. Yeah. Okay, so she's trying to make herself the entire focal point, make herself Ms. or Mrs. Phoenix Lights, and she has to be the center of all the attention. Yeah, that's how it seems. You know, it would have been really interesting to see if other folks in Phoenix had experienced some of the same kind of anomalous events in their lives as she did after seeing the Phoenix Lights. Because she talked about, you know, is this, like Jeremy said, you know, is this some kind of communication? Is something going on here? You know, it would have been great to hear if other folks in the area had similar kinds of things happen to them as opposed to just all of it focusing on her. Mm, well, well we that's had, just it. Uh, sure. if, if you have, I'm sorry, if you have uh, these lights appearing overhead, how many pe people in Phoenix saw this and thought it was about them? Well, know? the other thing is, of course, that we had Mike Fortson, who was somebody who also investigated the Phoenix lights and had a very straight-ahead presentation over what happened. We had him on the Paracast some weeks after we had Dr. Lynn. And I didn't get the impression of anything beyond the UFO encounters, and that's it. No psychic experiences, no attempts by them to communicate with any individuals, except for Dr. Lynn. Evidently, she's the one who gets all this happening to her. Well, now, let's qualify all this, because when Fortson came on the show, he was talking about the earlier event that evening of the large triangular craft. Right. That was his specific sighting. Now, there is a lot of contention about this, and I'm still on the fence about the connection between the earlier sighting of the very large craft and the later sighting of the quote-unquote lights. There have been people who have presented the idea, and, and, and I think there's some, there's some validity to this, that perhaps the later event was a distraction, uh, a way to be able to discredit the earlier event, which was clearly highly anomalous. Uh, Fortson saw the really large craft that absolutely defies explanation. The same thing that Symington saw. The same thing that a lot of people saw that night. So you had that earlier in the evening, but now you have Kitai talking about the lights episode later, and then making the claim that she had been taking photographs of those for weeks, months, in some cases, I guess maybe even a year before. I don't have all that data right in front of me, but that she had taken pictures of these similar lights before and after. That, of course, is interesting because then that begs the question, did anybody else, during those times when she shot those lights, did anybody else see those lights, and can her sightings be corroborated by people outside of her family? Well, that's a good question that I don't know got answered. Did she address that, guys? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so, yeah. 
She mentioned that her video, she had brought it down. She had made arrangements to speak with someone. I don't know if you remember her saying that. Right. And then the date got changed, and it just so happened that the night before of the date that it was changed to, the lights appeared, and she videotaped them. Right. Right, and then she brought the video, and then I think she said that a few other people had similar video, but hers was the first one that got on the news and yeah. Yeah. was out there. The other thing that, that Fortson brought up, that in speaking offline to other people who were involved in that evening, you know, because Katai made a documentary about this episode, and um, and I guess she showed that later Saturday night. Susan and I were not there for that. I don't know, Jeremy, have you seen the documentary? Did you stick around and watch it? No. All right. No, it was with you guys. <laughs> the assault on your ears after hearing her sing, was that just too much for you? No, that, that, no wait a minute. You're looking for, for an excuse. You weren't with us. Yeah, he uh, was. During the movie? No, he wasn't. No, no, no. That we was with you and that woman, Lisa. No, no, no. We had no, dinner. No, no, no. That wasn't Jeremy. That was a projection of Jeremy. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know about the hardware. He's beta testing for Listen, guys, get a room. <laughs> I had a room, and I had a table up against the door. That's how good my room was. El Greco. No, El Jeremy. Greco Motel comes highly recommended. Now, Jeremy, you haven't seen that documentary otherwise, right? I mean, you haven't no. seen it at all. That's why I, was, that's why I established. Um, because from everything I've heard, I haven't seen it, qualify this, I have not watched it, but apparently she does the thing in the documentary where she makes herself sort of the focal point for the documentary. Now, again, if you want to tell us as a personal story, that's fine. But when you sort of make the event about you, I think that's way more problematic. And Jerry, Jerry, Jerry <laughs> stop doing this. Jerry, yeah, I keep slipping into that, that snoring thing. What's wrong with me? Um, taking you over. He's taking over your personality. He's possessing you. Do I get his paycheck, too? Well, you can't ask for everything. Don't get greedy. <laughs> No, but um, now I lost the train of thought. Anyway, Jeremy. let's let's get Jeremy. Let's get to the good part. Which, at that point, I guess I walked outside because I just couldn't take it. I was losing <laughs> my mind, so I left the room. I'm outside, staying staying with somebody, talking to them, and out from the conference hall bolts Jeremy, going, "Dave, Dave, you got to hear this, Dave." <laughs> he comes running up with his little recorder, and he's playing. Dr. Katai's uh, singing. You know, I couldn't. I as soon as she finished singing, I looked at Jeremy and I said to him, "Could you believe that David missed this?" And he <laughs> turned to me and he said, "I captured the whole thing." <laughs> I said, "Good," because I knew you'd want to hear it. Oh God. man, he comes out playing this thing, and I thought I was going to die. It was so funny. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous to the point that I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it and laughing. And part of that laughter was tears, you know, <laughs> just for the whole sort of weekend and being encapsulated in that moment. Uh, it was crazy. And it's, you know, it's funny because I get criticized sometimes for doing similar things. You know, I, my books are about me, my DVDs are about me. So am I a hypocrite? I don't think so. I think that, that if you put something out there and say, this is my story, that's, like you just said, it's different than saying, this is about the Phoenix Lights, and it's not. It's about how the Phoenix Lights affected Lin Katai, who then admits, in real life, she wants to be a performer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's a, that's right. a critical uh, admission, you know, at that point. Well, now we have motivation, we have agenda. Right. And, uh, right. you know, that's, that's a huge piece of it. Well, she really put herself out there, you know, in terms of her story and... Uh, her singing, and she told us about her background in, you know, theater and musical theater and what she had done before she became a medical professional. So, yeah, so there it was. 
And she's already, the day after I put uh, the podcast up, she wrote someone uh, <clears throat> an angry email about me having captured that moment and lampooned it. And he CC'd me on his response to her, which was basically saying, no, no, he's a great guy. He's just young and, and judgmental, so give him a break. Um, so I immediately emailed her, and I'm going to have her on the show <laughs> next Tuesday. So we'll, oh. we'll get to the bottom of some of this stuff. Oh, that should be special. And, and I believe you're singing a duet with her. Is that the deal? I can neither confirm nor deny that I'm singing a duet with Dr. Oh, Lee. Come on. Come on. Come on. What are you going to sing? What are you going to sing? Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you. It's oh, you you know you want to. If it's going to happen, it's a growing uh, bit that will happen. Maybe he'll do like that old black magic or something. You know, <laughs> one of the famous duets like Jackson. Yeah. You know, of course, like a Johnny Cash song or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, no, Jeremy, you could do a thing like from West Side Story, Officer Krupski. We could all join in. Oh. Gee, Officer Krupski. Da, 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 da. Anyway. Oh, I think we're so. descending into something, but I don't know what we're oh, descending okay. into. Can we raise the level of this discourse, maybe a half a level or so? Uh, let's move on to the next presenter now. The next presenter requires a little bit of setup. Okay. I'll tell you what, David, why don't you set up in this hour, and then when we go into hour two, we can understand what's happening since we're down to about six minutes. Okay. So we've had Peter Davenport from the UFO Reporting, the National UFO Reporting Center on the show before. Interesting guy doing very, very uh, important work. He's the one-man repository for UFO reports, and so he serves a very vital function in the gathering of data. Let's start with that. I respect what Davenport is doing, and on a personal note, he's moving into a decommissioned missile silo, which I think is just too cool. And and the fact that he's doing that, you know, I, I respect him for that. I think that's really cool. It's a great thing. I would do it if I, if I could somehow swing that, and then Suze would never visit me ever because I'd be living in a decommissioned missile silo. She'd be like, come on, clean that water up. So, And it's, a, it's in the middle of nowhere. He's moving very far away from, like, you know, humanity off into this uh, missile silo, which, which worries me a little bit because Peter can be a bit strange. Now, mind you, everybody who plays in the sandbox, I think by definition, is a bit strange. There are degrees of strangeness. So we're, we're sitting there, uh, Jeremy, Susan, myself, we're talking. Um, you know, they're, they're, people are getting up, going to get coffee, whatever. And uh, this woman walks up to us with a notepad in her hand. Hi, guys. I just want to ask you a question. What do you think about UFOs? You know, now asking this at a UFO conference is sort of a strange thing. And uh, she was a... Uh, she was kind of an interesting character. I, I don't know how I'd describe her. She kind of looked like a cross between, oh, I don't know, maybe, uh, uh, I want to say, oh, this is going to be any way that I say this, it'll sound nasty. So something between Nancy Reagan and Yoda. <laughs> like, like, what? Wait, what? Yeah. what? She looked like... She did not. Of course she did. It was like... Hmm. She had that kind of, that no. kind of like. You know what it is, David. You wanted to have the opportunity to do a Yoda imitation. Just do it. I mean, you've been <laughs> aching all evening. Please do it already. Thank you, Gene. Uh, thank you, Gene. That was very sweet. <laughs> anyway, she walks up to us, and we're like, okay. So she's asking us this question. We're like, who are you? Oh, I just I'm here with Peter Davenport which I thought was immediately interesting because I, I kind of got the feeling that, that there was something deeper to that statement. And it turns out that this woman who claimed to be a judge, I don't know if she said a retired judge or just yeah. a judge. She, she said, said a retired, retired judge. Yeah, all right. Well, then they didn't sing Here Comes the Judge. 
No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so she was there with a friend, apparently, in an elevator. I guess the story is that Davenport got on the elevator with them and uh, used his really weird-looking eyes to hypnotize them into coming into the conference hall with him. Because they weren't there for the conference, but now they were kind of hanging out with Peter Davenport. And that was already kind of strange. And she starts asking us questions. And uh, and what did you say to her, Jeremy? You said something about uh, if she knew where to get the cheap hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you know what was weird about her also? Did she not say that she was working on... Didn't she first say she was working on his Washington or his political campaign? That, oh, that that's right. The politician? So that was oh. her introduction. And then she said she just met him in the elevator a little that's later. right. Okay, I forgot. I've also conveniently blocked that part out as well. That's yeah. right. She said he was running for office, right? Um, yeah. Now, he had to be pulling our leg. That just had to be nonsense. That had to be weird. Well, no, the, the guy who announced him said the same thing. Yeah. I, my, my, my mind is like blocking these things. I, I can't <laughs> handle the thought. Uh, I just, ladies and gentlemen, you're witnessing the mental breakdown of David Bietti on the Paracast, and I understand that he's channeling Brother Theodore. Don't start with me, Gene. So tell me, I will tell you what the voices in my head tell me. Why do you have to bring up Brother Theodore? The, the people in the Paracast forums love your impressions, so this is going to go down really well, this episode. <laughs> I can't wait to see what they say in the forums about this episode. This is going to be a classic. Uh, yeah, no, It'll yeah, be a yeah. classic. Oh, yeah. So, Davenport talks about how he's got really compelling photos and really compelling video to show. Now, when I hear the words, good photographs of UFOs, I'm all over it. Yeah, let's go. I was into that. All right, cool. So, he starts his presentation. And we find out that Peter Davenport had uh, discovered the source for sudden infant infant death syndrome, and this was news to me. Cool if he did that. That's great. I haven't seen corroboration of that. Uh, then we find out about the time he spent doing Russian translation for the vodka company that owns the trawler fleet that's searching for uh, Loch Ness, the Loch Ness monster in the uh, in the North Atlantic Ocean. Okay. I wasn't aware that he spoke fluent Russian. Pretty cool. Really cool. And he's, he's, he's you know, it's interesting because Susan thought that he had good presentation skills. And, and I said to her, well, he might have good presentation skills, but I don't know about his presentation. Really, for about the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes, it was, and, and this is going to sound cruel, but I'll go ahead and say it because as Alfred Lemberg says, I'm all about the unbridled repulsion. <laughs> okay, well, let's hold your conclusion for a moment, <laughs> all right. and we'll resume this hour number two. This is the Paracast, and we're joined by Dr. Sue, very, very special, super special guest, and Jeremy Vaney, who's uh, just a guest. <laughs> I didn't know we were on oh. Dr. Sue. That's fantastic. And we'll be Hold back. Hold don't even take her into the Star Trek realm, guys. You don't want what comes with that. Trust me on this. The Paracast returns on the other side. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! 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 
of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. You have reached the Paracast with the Jews, Dr. Steinberg and Dr. Vietti. And tonight we have the special guests. So we have Dr. Sue and Dr. Jerry Schmagusmiveni. Ha, 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 ha. He thinks he's funny. He's not as funny as a carbuncle. And Billy Myers, beep! Anyway, so, I don't know what the hell that was about. Gene in- insisted I introduce the second hour, and that's what you get with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney on the Paracast with Dr. Sue, the lovely Dr. Sue, and the less-than-lovely Jeremy Vady. <laughs> Much less than lovely, but that's another story. Oh, no, no. He, oh. He, he's a lovely oh, very hurt. Oh, oh, oh. That's very hurt. And that's spoken by the absolutely hideous Gene Steinberg, who's, oh, no, no. who has the picture in the closet getting older by the minute. Ooh. Some things Photoshop can't fix. Anyway. <laughs> oh. uh, Photoshop wouldn't even try with me. You know, Photoshop looks at me, and every programmer who designed Photoshop says, Not him. No. We don't have enough bits for that. There's just not enough bits. There just isn't. Anyway, so, Davenport starts off sort of strong in the presentation, weak in the content. Finally, he gets to a really interesting piece of footage that he shows of this light thing coming down. I really wish he had shown more of this footage. It was, I have to say, it was fascinating stuff, very anomalous. This kind of a huge ball of light behind the clouds coming down. I don't have notes in front of me of where this was. I'm sure you can find it on the New Fork website. Um, and then there's this, it's, it's kind of coming down behind the clouds to the horizon. And then he shows, and he, he underscores the fact that there's this little piece of light that seems to come up from the ground, from below the horizon, and it joins this ball of light. Very strange footage. Fascinating footage. And you could hear the audience gasp. In fact, Jeremy, I think you had a more visceral reaction, didn't you? Yeah, I actually started to tear up, which is, I have no idea why, except uh, you said I'm just a wuss, which I think probably answers it. But but yeah, I mean, that's the fact. I just started to sort of cry to myself a little bit. It was interesting footage. What did you think of it, Susan? I thought it was really awesome. I would have loved to have seen more of it. I really, I hadn't seen anything like that before. Um, and I had taken down a couple of notes on, I think he said it was in 1995 that it occurred. But I have to go back and double check. I take some, so I'll go back and do my research on it, which I haven't All done right. yet. About Davenport, though, one of the things that I that worried me about is data collection. And I know he's collecting mounds and mounds of data, was that he was editing some of it before it went into the database and that he was looking at it and determining whether or not it belonged in the database and as a data collector I got a little upset about that because I would have loved to have seen everything that went in even if they were innocuous lights you know just to kind of see if there were any patterns or, or trends just to watch and follow now to be fair we don't know really what Peter has done with this data you know, he didn't make the presentation really about how he's tabulated this data and done any kind of cross-referencing on it. 
from looking at the website, not a lot of it has gone on. I mean, he was talking about the fact that he uh, he mentioned, I think, the number of having taken something like a quarter of a million phone calls in, what, 14, 15 years, and that some large number of these he immediately discounted because I'm guessing that he just listened to the stories and they sounded like the typical coast-to-coast caller, you know, just people who were just kind of like loopy. So I, I, I understand what you're saying, Susan, that you know maybe it would be useful to tabulate all of it, to take all of it down. But in his defense, he is one guy. And he's doing all this alone. So I, I understand that, you know, there's this reality that, look, if you're one guy and you're getting this many calls, you have to sort of make a judgment call about whether or not something is potentially credible. Now, that's a very hard thing to do, obviously. And in, in the best case scenario, which, of course, never presents itself in this field, but in the best case scenario, yeah, you would grab absolutely everything and you would have software set up that could tabulate the data, that could do uh, cross-referencing on it, that could allow you to, with one click, create really obvious categories, subcategories, maybe plot the data over time and space. Those are all great ideas, but again, in Peter's defense, I don't think he's got the budget or the manpower to do that. And, and, and I think it's, you know... Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, I think he's doing an incredible job for, you know, I think he said 14 years or 15 years yeah. he's been doing this. He's been at this work. And right. it's uh, an incredible, incredible effort that he's putting out there. But as a data collector, I still want all the data. Sorry. Well, that's an interesting question, which I think you guys are raising. And that is, are they using modern technologies in order to collect data about UFOs? Well, he's putting stuff in a database. I mean, is that a modern technology? Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, what kind of... See, here's the thing about a database. You've got a data set. Now, what do you do with it? Which reminds me, all of a sudden, i got a flash, and boy, is this out of left field, of a fantastic piece of software called MaxSpin. Do you remember that, Gene, that lets you do 3D data clouds? Hey, maybe you don't remember that. No. no. Really esoteric software boy was it spectacular i think this was a discussion that we ran into when we were talking with one of the ghost hunters about using modern technology to perform the research and the question i have is is that even being done in this well, field i went onto the website and i took a look at the data that peter has up there and there are a couple of different sorts that he has available so you could say you know let me look at all of the reports by state or by uh type of ship that was reported or but there really wasn't any cross tabulation that you could do or any kind of really you know longitudinal analysis that you can do i couldn't like plug in any variables myself or anything like that. So it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty basic stuff. So I don't know what he's using. Maybe, you know, in-house he has more capability and that's just what he's making available to all of us on the web. Right, right. Um, so here's the thing. He shows that one really compelling piece of video footage. Absolutely stellar stuff. And then, at that point, I think he was pretty close to the end of his presentation. What he didn't show were photographs. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I don't remember seeing a single photographic image. Am I, is that incorrect? I remember. Yeah. Did he show the NASA tape and and I think just those two things, right? Yeah, I don't. I remember that one thing of the ball of light. There were no still images whatsoever. Not of UFOs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a lost opportunity. That was, you know, sort of a through line of the weekend of just people, whether their presentations ultimately were compelling or not, they really concentrated on the trivial stuff and the biographical, this is who I am, 
as you would say, cult of personality stuff over the um, actual evidence that they had brought, and, and as a result, they were crunched for time at the end of at the end of their hour and a half that they had allotted to them. Every single one of them, just about. I mean, there well, were probably a couple that weren't, but just about every single one of them had were crunched for time. I'll tell you who didn't do that. Richard Dolan, as usual, emerged as the hero of the weekend for my money. But then again, I think he's the most valuable member at this point of the UFO community in many ways. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't feel bashful saying that. He's, if, if you have to look to one person in this field of research and really refer to them as a scholar and as a researcher, and I know if Paul Kimball's listening to this, he's probably going, Rrr. but I think Dolan fits the bill. He's the one guy who I'll listen to him any day. And, and some of the things that, that he said to me offline, I've questioned him a little bit, but for the most part, I, I think he's stellar. And, and his presentation, which we'll get to a little bit later on, but he made absolutely appropriate use of the time, especially after the fact that he had to cut his presentation short because of Tom Carey. But that's a whole nother topic. Let's get back to Saturday, because after Davenport went on, then we have on a guy who I was actually really looking forward to. And one of the main reasons I wanted to go down for the weekend was because this fellow Sam Maranto was going to be doing some big presentation about the O'Hare episode, which I'm very interested in in a lot of different ways. And he's with the Illinois MUFON organization. And I think I'd also read that somehow he's involved with the Disclosure Project, which to me at this point is a bit of a red flag. But that was fine. He was going to present supposedly a bunch of evidence about the O'Hare episode. And sadly, and this is no call about Sam Maranto and his personality or character, but what he did was show essentially an hour and a half, maybe almost two hours of footage of triangular configurations of lights. Very interesting stuff. I don't want to take anything away from that. But after about the first 10 minutes, it's like, okay, we get it. There's this really anomalous the three light configuration in the sky. It's doing interesting moves. It's reconfiguring itself. But don't show an hour of that because that's 50 minutes too much. And, and then he showed stuff that I had serious issues with about some case of some potential contact he and his wife. Oh, look, the guy had some weird thing in his eye, and you see some goofy picture of the guy at night. You don't see anything in the eye. Oh, look, and here are these pictures taken of this light thing coming down their car, and he's pointing out, look, you see, in the light here, you can see a being. And it's like, there's no being. I don't see any being. What the hell are you talking about? And this went on for way too long. What do you guys think? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, he didn't mention O'Hare at all. And that was the whole, you know, I was waiting to hear him talk about it. Okay, so it was about, it was supposedly about O'Hare, but he doesn't discuss O'Hare. Not at all. Oh, boy. Didn't even come up. Did anybody say, hey, why didn't you talk about O'Hare? Uh, you know, everybody, except for me, apparently, is very polite in the UFO world. And uh, nobody wants to say anything. Nobody wants to say, could you move it along? I mean... Part of the problem of the whole weekend, and um, this is something we're definitely going to tell Jackie, the, the very nice lady who put this together, who I, I think, given the limitations of what she had to work with, given the time frame, given the fact that I know she lost a lot of money that weekend. I mean, I really feel bad for her because she was not only not breaking even, I guarantee you, she lost five figures worth of money on this. Not a good place to be, and I know that it, it and I've been in those shoes before, it is very difficult 
to be upbeat. And she was she was actually fantastic. I thought she was a very nice gal. And uh, she said to Susan and me that uh, she's going to make this conference happen every year. That she this was the first annual Atlantic Coast UFO conference, and that she has every intention to continue them. So bless her for that. Um, I know that I'd, I'd go back and hopefully. Uh, to one that's a little maybe better run in terms of no no one said to Sam Maranto hey what about O'Hare at one point I was going to call out but I didn't want to be you know the one troublemaker in the hall though it's usually what I end up being and it was kind of sad because I walked up to Maranto afterwards and said hey what happened to the UFO stuff oh I ran out of time I've got some great stuff with me I thought jeez oh, what the heck is that that that's not good um, so personally I found it frustrating now. Jeremy, what did you think of the video of the triangular light configurations he was showing? I don't know. <laughs> I just, I thought that, you know, it's interesting. It's the same, you know, I'm just going to parrot what you just said. I mean, it's interesting up to a point, but ultimately, when you're watching it forever, I mean, it's unspectacular. And part of what he was doing was he was trying to find a piece that we, I think he, because he wasn't facing the screen, he couldn't see that we were seeing this footage over and over as he was, you know, yeah. rewinding to try to find it. But it's right. basically a piece of footage where there's the formation and a plane goes by underneath. And it was, you know, it's a decent looking shot. It's cool or whatever. But I mean, that just rewinding to find that, I think, took 20 minutes, right? I mean, it took a really long time. Felt like forever. And, um, I, I just was, I don't know, my, my take on it was clouded over by the fact that I'm looking at the syllabus here, and it says that he's talking about cases from the Heartland, O'Hare uh, Airport case, and so that's really what I wanted to see. I didn't, you know, I've seen these lights in the sky f- footages before. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane. That's techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free ccrane catalog. Place your order today. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast with my two friends, Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're joined by Dr. Sue and, of course, Jeremy Vaney. We're talking about this conference. Officially, it's called the New Jersey MUFON's Inaugural Northeastern Conference. Say that five times fast, ladies and gentlemen. It took place in the middle of February, and this is the aftermath, the Monday morning or Sunday evening quarterback session. 
and we're talking about the good, bad, and ugly. Was it too much ugly stuff, David? Like anything else, Gene, the, the value in going to a conference like this are the personal connections you end up making. So uh, once Miranda was done, I went up and talked to him briefly. Uh, nice guy. Very nice guy. Sweet man. So, you know, nothing against him personally. He needs to work on his presentation skills. Uh, we want to go out to dinner. Uh, apparently there was this uh, all-you-can-eat horse meat place down on the on the, the boardwalk that Jeremy was dying to go to. Couldn't wait. Yeah, I know. She said they had those little Shetland pony ribs. I don't know. Oh. That's just I just, wanted, I just wanted, I was in it for the, the free hoof drinking. I, I just wanted to drink from hoof. Ooh. Mm, you put a little bit of mint in it. Tastes great. Delicious. So, um, yeah, it's yummy, yummy, yum, yum. So uh, Susan noticed that there was this um, woman sitting there, and uh, as we were walking out, uh, we started talking to this woman. I mean, how did that happen, Susan? How did you address her? Well, we, we kind of were the last few in the um, the room as we were going out, and I noticed that she was kind of packing up and by herself, so I just asked her if she wanted to join us for dinner since we were all kind of heading out to a, a local place, and she agreed to come, which was lovely. Yeah, she was uh, very nice and had some interesting stories to tell. We we, we, we spoke to her over dinner. Jeremy tried not to uh, – he was doing this thing with the butter that was on the table. I, I don't even want to describe it on the show, but it was – it was just just wrong, Jeremy. I don't know why you did that. Or ketchup into the butter. I mean, we shouldn't talk about it, but I'll just okay. say that it was prep work for the stripper that I was talking to later in the night. That's you right. can get out of the oh. <laughs> oh, oh, and I should say right now, um, you know, this is kind of the long, tedious version of the recounting of the weekend. I think ultimately Jeremy's recounting of the weekend on his fabulous podcast show, it is just... A laugh fest. You, you are a funny man when you want to be. I have to say, oh, good stuff. You. Yeah, it was uh, just just damn funny. Take oh. my UFO, please. <laughs> well, the part where he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, don't even try that with Gene because you know he's. Uh, shall we say he, he's scratching at it. Hi, Gene. Uh, I'll tell you something. I don't just scratch. I itch. You know, I scratch real hard. I look, you prescribe something for that. I understand, but unfortunately, they, I don't have enough space for all the pills I'd have to take. I think it's a cream. Anyway. Oh, God. So, uh, yeah, there was. we went out to dinner, and then I went and had to make trouble in the Apple store. That's a whole other story when the car went off. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, so now it was uh, Sunday morning, and we knew Bill Burns was going to be presenting in first thing in the morning, or at least theoretically, that was that, that's what was supposed to happen. So Susan and I slept in. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> we uh, we got to uh, to the uh, the hotel to find out that Bill apparently didn't show up. Then we also found out that Bud Hopkins who was supposed to appear in the afternoon, also had, had canceled for whatever reason. I don't know if you have any insight into that, Jeremy. Uh, uh, actually, I do. He has shingles, so he had an outbreak of shingles. He's not a good thing. I guess he drank from the hoof, as it were. Yeah. And Bill Burns uh, had to go tape his uh, his History Channel TV show. They, I guess, ordered a couple more episodes and had to fly out to uh, New Mexico. Oh, there you go. Oh, no, they're going to do a Roswell thing. Please, no more Roswell. Oh, God. 
Anyway, so Jeremy, I guess, was there in the morning and saw Steve Bassett speak. So tell us about that. What was how was Stephen Bassett like Sunday morning? Um, I I like Steve as a speaker. I mean, I really think he should be doing college stuff because he's a dynamic speaker. I, I think he really connects well. He unfortunately his PowerPoint projection broke down, and they spent a good twenty minutes on that, um, oh. which was ridiculous to me because there was nothing on the PowerPoint that. You know, it's like, here's the word exopolitics, which I'm now going to say 8,000 times. So, you know, there was nothing on there that, that needed to be uh, shown, in my view, um, unless he just needed it as a place marker. And so he ran way over and threw, you know, the rest of the speakers off. But outside of that, I don't know. It's, it's funny because he says, you know, he begins his presentation by saying, you know, if I get anyone alone in a room for just a little while, one-on-one, I can convince them that uh, exopolitics is, is the real deal, is the way to go. And, of course, by the time Richard Dolan gets up there, part of his presentation is why, uh, why disclosure in exopolitics isn't going to work. So I thought yeah. that was interesting because he's had plenty of alone time with Dolan. So I don't know. I don't know what, what to make of Steve Bassett other than I really like him as a speaker. I don't know that what he's talking about is uh, real. I mean, he said that by, I think it was April of next year or maybe just spring of uh, 2009, that there's going to be some huge disclosure happening. You know, I mean, he put that out there. And, you know, what is he backing that up with? Well, just for the record, I don't think any of us would like anything more than for that to be true. That would that would be a fantastic thing. That would mean that it would generate a huge amount of interest in the topic, and um, maybe we could get paid to do the radio gig. I don't know. I think that'd be a fantastic thing. But I think I fall into Dolan's camp about this. I don't know that uh, disclosure is even possible. You know what will be disclosed exactly? I think this rabbit hole goes deeper than that. And like you, Jeremy, I mean, I basically applaud what Bassett is doing. I think the X conference uh, is a fascinating event where you have, like this event, you have a combination of people who are very compelling, who have real stories to tell, and uh, you know, then you have the uh, the Stephen Greers, who at this point, you know, we've had Greer on on the Paracast a couple of times. Interesting conversations with him. He gets defensive at certain parts, and you know, Jeremy, like you, when I saw his presentation at the X conference. That was pretty much it for me and my my thoughts about Greer having any credibility. It just went right out the window. Because, you know, one great presentation, you can really make an argument for your case. One really terrible presentation, and it really throws everything into question. It, it truly does. Now, just as a total aside, today I got an email from the Disclosure Project. They're looking for, I guess uh, Greer's been invited to speak at some Santa Fe uh, conference about science and consciousness. And uh, this disclosure people put out a call today, and I'll read from the email, if anyone has enough frequent flyer miles to donate for a first-class airline ticket from Washington, D.C. to Albuquerque, it would be much appreciated. We need to know quite soon as we need to make the reservation. Now, I saw that and I thought, a first-class airline ticket? (laughs) What the heck is that? So, you know, being the goofhead I am, I wrote back and I said, uh, maybe I've got some frequent flyer miles. What's up with that? And uh, they wrote back. In fact, I wrote, what if I had enough frequent flyer miles for a coach ticket? Would this suffice? And I heard back from, uh, from someone, hi, David, maybe. What airlines and how many miles would you be able to donate? 
I thought, okay, now this this is getting interesting. And I wrote back and I and I simply asked the question, well, you know, let me just ask, why is it that you're requesting a first class ticket? I think that's certainly a valid question. You know, it's like I thought to myself, well, why is he? I, I mean, I've flown first class maybe once or twice in my life. What a luxury! What a great thing! It also, you know, triples the price of the plane ticket. Like, what's that? Uh, triple may not be it anymore. It may be a lot yeah. more. Yeah, be a lot more, right? Sure. So they they wrote back to me, "Hi, David. I'm going to read this right from the email. He needs the room in first class because of his height being six foot four, and he has a back injury, both making painful for him to write in normal economy class." All right. Now here's the thing, Jeremy. You saw Greer at the X conference. I saw him. The guy has been doing major weightlifting. He is a monster. This guy, I mean, I think Paul Kimball made the statement on, on our show that he wouldn't want to have to fight Greer at this point because, you know, Greer is this big, hulking, massive guy. I mean, been doing heavy weightlifting. Now, I don't know, did he injure his back lifting the weights? If he's got serious back injuries, should he be doing, you know, 400-pound bench presses, which is what it looks like he's doing to me? So I, I read that and I thought, uh, gee, I don't know. Look, the guy's back could be severely injured, and so I don't want this to be gratuitous. But I thought it was weird that they're putting out the call. Yeah, he probably injured his back by lifting beautiful alien babies. But what was interesting about uh, Bassett's thing and sort of uh, gets into Greer and why he has these people up there, this could be the answer. Part of Bassett's presentation was about this I think it was seven tiers to the main to media right and so it starts off with like crappy newsletters at the bottom of the list uh, tabloids um, you know sort of secondary media and you know at the top of the list is like MSNBC the big channels New York Times and but over to the right of the list he's got the fast track which is the internet so a story could break at the lowest level, and if it's got legs on the internet, all of a sudden it shoots on up that elevator to second and um, first class media. So maybe that's what he's doing, you know? Maybe that answers it. It's like he just uh, throws out the tabloid type stuff, he throws out the legitimate stuff, he puts it all out there in the hopes that something will catch, uh, set fire online, and, and send him straight to the top, and he'll have the ears of the mainstream media. This is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bazaar sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos, and it's all for free. Or drop us a line, Mr. UFO at webtv.net. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your webpage? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I can. Host I can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting, too, for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? 
Its reliability and speed speaks for itself, and that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Hosts I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Hosts I Can, go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. Techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can. to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and Data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Let's make this mainstream comment. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We have Dr. Sue with us, Jeremy Vaney or Joseph Vaney or Harry Vaney or... Harry, Jerry. Jerry or Jerry Vaney and Dean Martin or something like that. And we're talking about this UFO conference that occurred in mid-February 2008 in Atlantic City. Now, before we get into more speakers and more um, the Steve Bassett particular presentation, and, and I think we're going to have him on the show again sometime in the future, what about the gambling? Anyone try it? Anyone win anything? <laughs> Susan? Yeah, yeah, I made 100% profit. Okay, great. so that's $2 Actually, to $4, dollars, right? <laughs> Actually, Close. 5 to 10 <laughs> Hey, okay, wow, way to go. That's this good. is your good luck charm, David. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I didn't guess it. You didn't gamble, Jer- Jeremy? Well, no. you, were, you were in Atlantic City. So you were staying in the, what you call that place? The Peacock Inn? It's called the Roach Motel. Okay, the Roach Motel. The, the El Greco. The El Greco, the Peacock, whatever. Yeah. That was better. I don't know. I thought this, that's pretty good. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, it was different. Jeremy. I was gambling with my life. That's what I <laughs> I love the part where you put the, ta- the, the desk in front of the, the door so it wouldn't kick it in. Oh. Wee! Ah, yes, the sweet smell of urine in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so Bassett was off the stage, and, and then Susan and I arrived as Tom Carey was doing his presentation about Roswell. Now, here again, let's uh, let's put in a qualifier. Whatever issues I have with, uh, with Don Schmidt, um, whatever issues I have with my interactions with Carrie at Pat Marcatilio's event in Bordentown last October. That was awfully strange and fun. Whatever issues I have, one thing that's clear is that Carrie uh, with Schmidt has assembled a pretty exhaustive amount of information about Roswell. They've, they've made a bunch of calls. They've spoken with a bunch of people. You know, we've taken exception on the show to the idea that they're the only researchers. But certainly these guys have invested a huge amount of time in interviewing everyone they could, whether or not they had anything to do with the episode, They're, they've been pretty exhaustive, uh, almost to the point of it being perhaps overkill. But again, uh, I have to give him kudos. He's done a lot of hard lifting and a lot of hard work. We walked into the presentation. He was maybe about a third of the way in, maybe halfway in. And, and here again, we have the problem of presentations perhaps going too long at an hour and a half. He was throwing up images of everybody he found in the Roswell yearbook from 1947, going to rather exhaustive detail. And again, 
on a certain level, this detail is useful, it's relevant, maybe consumed in a book form, but to be up on a stage and, and just slide after slide these grainy black and white pictures of people with an exhaustive backstory, you know, what every little detail of, of who they were, it's not that that information is not relevant, but the question is, do you do this for an hour and a half or two hours or two hours and a half? And, and this is where it just got ugly. Mm. Okay. Well, you know, that's the problem that you're raising here with this entire presentation, which is that they book guests. They allocate a certain amount of time, but there's no editorial control on the presentations. Well, at a certain point, the fellow who I guess was, was with there, there with Jackie and who was kind of a, I didn't quite get, I guess his name was Sam. I didn't quite get whether Sam was the MC or he was kind of the, the MC. It was hard to tell. But he gave Carrie the five minute flag. You got five minutes left. And Carrie kept on talking. He just basically completely ignored the guy and just kept on going. And Rich Dolan was sitting there and he was getting steamed. And who can blame him? He's seeing his time evaporate because nobody will stop Kerry. And in fact, it turns out that they had asked Rich to cut his presentation back to, I think, 70 minutes from 90 because he wasn't going to have enough time. It just wasn't fair. And I did walk up to Jackie, who was sitting in the back, the sponsor of the event. And I said to her, you know, I whispered to her, this is very disrespectful to Richard Dolan. And, and I really thought it was because Dolan is a guy who deserves three hours if he needs it. And so to take a chunk of his time away, because, because so Tom Carey can just go on and on, you know, I partially blame Carey for that because he knew that he had his five minutes. And he knew when it was 50 minutes and 25 minutes and 45 minutes. I think he went like 45 minutes over. Something along those lines. Rich Dolan was supposed to go on at 11.30. Rich Dolan didn't actually go on until just around 12.30. It just wasn't the right thing to do. That's just my opinion. Agreed. <laughs> I second that motion. Yeah, and um, but he he was also sitting out at his table. I bought a, I bought the Witness to Roswell book from him, and I looked down at his table, and he's got these photos of himself and him and Don Schmidt. And he said, "I'm also selling these photos. I'm trying something new. I'm selling these photos for five bucks a piece." And, wow, really? Photos of you? <laughs> five bucks a piece? So maybe he was really searching for his fifteen minutes, and he just got lost into yeah. forty-five. I don't know. Yeah. I, did you buy one of the photos? I bought several of the photos, and they're up on my wall. Excellent. Right next to Michael Jackson, huh? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Here, here's Michael. Here's Tom. And, and who's... Oh, and this is Tom Cruise, another little man. Anyway, uh, I don't know. What did you think of his presentation, Susan? As someone who, who knows a little bit about Roswell, maybe not to that depth, what did you feel about what he was talking about? Well, I think they did an exhaustive amount of work you know, at, at Roswell. It was the second time that I had seen his presentation. So um, it was a lot of, you know, for me it was, you know, it seemed even longer because it was the second go around. But it was, I mean, it, it showed that they had done a lot of digging. He had tried to follow all different kinds of leads, talking to people's families, really trying to dig up whatever he could. But, and that was pretty admirable, I thought. I mean, it was, it was a lot of good, good work. I was just getting, you know, as you and Jeremy said, said you know, it was just watching the clock tick and knowing that uh, Rich Dolan was there waiting to go on and that his presentation was cut short. And I just thought that was pretty disrespectful of Tom to yeah. do that. 
Yeah. But it's like that with a lot of them. I mean, even Don Ledger, who I thought was a, a good presenter and seemed like just the most kind-hearted guy you could ever want to meet, very intelligent and all that. But, I mean, essentially, you know, he's talking about um, the Shag Harbor UFO incident, which is a UFO dives into the harbor. You know, like that's the story. And, so, you know, nothing about that story requires an hour and a half. Nothing about Roswell requires an hour and a half at this point. I mean, certainly, yeah, initially. But now that we sort of know everything, it's all, like you said, it's all just sort of, look, and this witness, and this witness, and this witness. It's like we get it. Yeah, he said a couple of times, you know, this wasn't a weather balloon. And, like, yeah, we got it, you know. Yeah. Could have moved on a little quicker. Well, I think these guys have been immersed in the in the matter a little too long. I think that you lose perspective if you've been so deeply immersed in this stuff for as many years as these guys have been doing it. And there is this other thing that when you've got an audience, and I know for years of teaching technology to audiences, very often the audience is not pre-qualified. You don't know what they know. So usually when I do a class, I ask for a show of hands, how many people have been using, let's say, Photoshop for more than a year? less than a year, more than five years, and you get an idea of the level of expectation of the audience. I didn't Billy see... Billy Meyer raises his hand. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's one hand. <laughs> oh, oh boom But, um, no, you, you basically you have to pre-qualify your audience, and so you know, part of the problem is, okay, who shows up to a UFO conference? People who have no knowledge of the topic? people who are deeply immersed in the topic, you know, some combination of the two. Well, an event like this, I'm guessing most of the people there were pretty deeply immersed to be motivated enough to spend a weekend in Atlantic City, staying wherever they were staying, probably at far too high of a price because it was a holiday weekend. Note to Jackie, think twice about making an Atlantic City. You know, that cost for that is just too high for people who, I mean, some of those hotel rooms, I know that there's a $200 a night special, and those no, rooms were normally like 400 bucks a night at the Trump Plaza. So uh, way too much money. Anyway, let's get to the good stuff. Richard Dolan, fantastic presenter. You got a guy who knows his content cold, who knows how to give a presentation, I think. That's just my belief. Who's an engaging presenter, who is seriously knowledgeable about this topic, and who also is diplomatic enough to know when to rein himself in and knows enough about pacing to know when to set up expectation and deliver. I would have loved to have watched Rich for three hours for my money because God knows he had the presentation. He cited 15 essential documents that he's gotten out of the government that underscore the reality of the UFO cover-up on the part of the government. There is no belief involved. Rich has done the hard digging. He's a real researcher. And I'm not trying to say Kerry isn't, but there's something about the way that Dolan presents the stuff that it moves. He's a very engaging speaker, and he made his points really well. That's what I think. How about you guys? Yeah, I was excited to see him because I, I missed him at the X conference. He was the one speaker that I did miss. And, yeah, I mean, I, I was actually glad to see that toward the end he started talking about abductions because, as I told him, you know, uh, we need his type of intellect to apply itself t to that phenomenon. And I, so I, I applaud his, you know, delving off of um, uh, documents to, to, you know, go into more... Uh, shall we say, oh, I don't know, uh, dangerous territory? Mm -hmm. 
hypothetical territory? Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit fate's website at www.fatemag.com that's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com so what are you waiting for your fate awaits you're in the paracast with gene steinberg and david biedney you never know what's going to happen next you're in the Powercast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Dr. Sue, and we're also talking to Jeremy Vaney. And we're talking about this event sponsored by an organization called Atlantic Coast UFO Conferences, the official title being the New Jersey MUFON's inaugural Northeastern Conference, which took place February 15th, 16th, and 17th, 2008 in Atlantic City, which may not have been the best venue for it. Of course, when you're going to have an event like this, David, don't you think that you should have it in a city that's accessible by major highways, easy to get to, because you want a big crowd? Oh, absolutely. No question about that. I just think it makes sense to put it in, in a location where uh, you're not looking at two, three, four hundred dollar a night hotel rooms. If you're coming in for two nights... And you're looking at you know three hundred dollars a night. That's six hundred bucks just for the hotel room, Gene. I think that makes it very inaccessible for a large number of people. You can have something that's accessible by major highways. Certainly, you could have something that makes sense on every level, and potentially not have it be in Atlantic City. I think it just pushes the cost up so high. And you know, New Jersey is a place where you can actually get great deals on these kind of things. But uh, Atlantic City on a holiday weekend. Ooh, deadly combination. I mean, we, we had to really search for a room. And anyway, I don't want to make this all about that. But, you know, Susan was great and found a place and, and treated me. Um, so God bless her wonderful soul. But yeah, I, I think it could, you could have a similar event somewhere where you could probably have your costs. And, you know, if you, if you price it more aggressively and make it so that people aren't out so much out of pocket just to stay in the hotel and for meals and so forth, uh, I think you potentially can have a better turnout. Anyway, Susan, what did you think of Rich Dolan? You, you'd never seen him speak before. What was your impression? No, 
that was the first time that I heard Rich speak and really had contact with a lot of his um, ideas. And he started his presentation by saying that he was going to use his time efficiently. And boy, did he. He really was, you know, keeping his eye on the clock and got his points out in a very efficient manner and did a really good job of, of making those points. And I was really you know, impressed by the level of his research because you had spoken about him before and he had he had done all his homework and, and everything was there and presented to us in terms of looking at government documents. And one of the things that he spoke about that I thought that kind of caught my eye, I was like, what? And he spoke about black budgets and the idea of um, a secret space program and the fact that the United States has trillions of dollars that are unaccounted for in the defense budget every year. And he was able to quote those facts for us and to present that to us. And, um, you know, things start to to make sense. It's starting to put some meat on the bones that, you know, something indeed is going on here. It's not even a question anymore of is something going on, you know, just based on what Rich was able to dig up, you know, just basic documents from, that are accessible, you know, to, to everyone. You know, there is indeed something going on. And could it be a secret space program? Well, there certainly is funding uh, that's missing that, that could be carrying on those kinds of events and uh, exposure. So, yeah, yeah no, I makes... thought it was, it was really good. Yeah. Now, at that point, uh, Susan and I left. Can I ask you a question, Dave? At, at one point, he had said Bob Lazar, he believes, was a real, the real deal, that he really did work at Area 51 and all of that. What did you think yeah. about that? I forgot to ask you. Uh, I have issues with it. Like I've said, uh, there, there are a few things that Rich says that throw up some flags, you know, and, and in Rich's case, you know, it's a few things out of a great many things. I, I have issues with the Lazar situation. And um, I don't know, maybe one day it'd be really great if we could get Bob Lazar on the show, though that's about as likely as uh, as getting an actual gray on here. Uh, I don't see it happening. So, um, you know, here's the thing. When Rich says something, if he says, hey, this needs looking into, and maybe this is just silly on my part, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I really will. Just because, you know, you, you, you sort of have to, you have to pick your heroes carefully. And realize that, yeah, no, people are flawed. I mean, you know, this is something that Paula Harris brought up. Oh, if somebody says something that's sort of questionable, are you going to take everything good that they say and throw it out? And it's like, no, like anything else, it's an issue of ratio. You know, what is the ratio of nonsense to good stuff? So you weigh everything. And in, in Dolan's case, you'll say, you know, there's something to Lazar. Well, I'll tell you, when you look at the body of Dolan's work and his uh, UFOs in the National Security State, phenomenal book, not an ounce of fat in there. It's a really important book, one of the most important books written about government cover-up. Having read that book, when he says, hey, you need to look into something, there's something here, I think it's worth giving him the benefit of the doubt for that moment. So, you know, I have some issues with it. We are certainly going to have Rich Dolan back on this show, hopefully a lot more than a couple more times. And I'll tell you what, next time we have him on the show, I think I'll take him up on that. And, and ask him about what, what his real feelings are about Lazar, because he, he mentioned it in passing. He didn't go into a whole lot of depth about that. So now that, that's my qualifier. So at that point, after Dolan was, was done, Susan and I took off. And so I guess, was Peter Robbins the next speaker? Yeah, Peter Robbins spoke about Ben Waters, uh, Rendlesham. 
for his case. Um, he was good. He was um, very thorough as well, <laughs> but good. Um, but again, it's another one of those things where we just saw too much. You know, it was like here's here's a photo of a helicopter. Here's a photo of the field. Another photo. You know, how many photos of the field do we need? So I don't feel that he was aided by his PowerPoint presentation, but I thought overall he was um, an effective speaker. And then next, Bud Hopkins was out. They didn't replace him with anyone, so they ended with Ferry Dozu, who actually had probably the most controversial presentation because she basically is saying that um, in Turkey, where she is from, she's basically saying that, that a lot of these sort of old Turkish myths and religious stories are about reptilian aliens that control the world um, and that it was this sort of reptilian bloodlust that created 9-11 through subtle influences. Now, it, it sounds awful, <laughs> It sounds, but actually, at the very least, she made all of the connections. Like, I could see how she got from point A to point Z, unlike David Icke, where he just sort of says stuff. I can see how in her in investigation she would get there. I don't agree with it at all, but I could see it. And so I, I give kudos for that. And I, I thought the reaction to her was interesting because I could actually listen in on some people's conversations talking about how offensive it was and crazy and all this. And then some people came up to her and were just in awe. And one guy even offered her and her husband a ride back to uh, their hometown just because he had nothing else to do and he really liked their presentation. And so it was a weird, it was a weird sort of mixed reaction. And I actually, like I'm sort of alluding here, I thought I would hate it a lot more than I did. I actually thought it was intriguing, well played in a sort of uh, theater sense, not in a factual reality sense. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> well, you know what? In a way it does, Jeremy, because one of the things that I'm definitely getting from looking into this topic for the last couple of years in, in, in a real serious way on the show, relatively serious, is that I often have to remind myself that for a lot of people, all of this is just another form of entertainment. It's it's another cable TV channel. You know, it's the alien channel. And people consume this like they would consume any other media. A lot of people want to believe and will believe at any and all costs. I think that that is a very different way than the way I experience it because I'm looking for some answers. If, again, if that's even possible, I don't know. But... I don't look at this as entertainment. This is not something that I want to laugh about. I mean, you know, it's kind of sad because on your podcast, you hear me talking in the background and answering questions for you, and I'm just being a big old goofball, which is sort of how I am most of the time anyway. But, you know, the reality is I'm really genuinely curious about this, and I have some very strong personal reasons for, for wanting to dig for answers. So I suppose that... I'm trying to learn how to separate my, my, my own personal feelings about this from the reality of the way that people tend to perceive it. And so, you know, if Farah is going to, you know, speak to the audience in a way that will, you know, shock them, entertain them, uh, yeah, maybe there's a role for that. But see, I don't know. I, I'm really torn on this. And uh, when you start tying in, I mean, what you, you mentioned just a moment ago, which definitely I felt myself have a kind of a visceral reaction that, oh, it's the reptile bloodlust behind 9-11. You know, I hear stuff like that, and in my mind, you know what I, what, what I see is I see about 3,000-some-odd bodies spinning in their graves if only they had graves. It, it bothers me on a, on a real personal level. 
And so when I see that brought into this topic in a way that isn't, I don't know, I don't know how to express this, because this is really tough for, for me to talk about. I, I just, I could see where people would be offended. And uh, look, hey, reality is going to be stranger than fiction. Lord knows, I've said on the show before, you know, if we ever really find out what all this is about, it's a good chance it's going to be a thousand times weirder than anything, than anything we suspected. Are there reptilian beings? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I buy that. Is it possible? Well, Lord, man, anything is possible, ultimately. But is it probable? That's a whole other question. You know what was interesting was she had a picture of Pazuzu, which is, um, well, basically the first demon, you know, and it was the, the thing in The Exorcist, the, the statue that basically yeah. becomes the, you know, possessor. Oh, yeah. um, and, so, and, and she's showing this picture, and I actually almost went up to Dole, behind Dole and stuck up behind him and said, you know, I'm going to psychically guess that you're thinking Mothman, because it looks so strikingly like Mothman. But then the very next slide was Mothman, and she was comparing it to Mothman. And I thought, stuff like that was interesting. Stuff like, um, there's this underground city beneath Turkey that's like 27 levels deep, and nobody knows, according to her anyway, nobody knows who made it or why. And, she and you know, the couple of uh, sort of archaeological reports um, of strange creatures in there. One, a tall light being, and one, you know, sort of a red-eyed golem-type character. And, you know, if these things are true, and I have no way of verifying that because I'm not Turkish, uh, you know, archaeologist, but assuming that they're true, I mean, stuff like that, the meter for story is interesting. Now, you know, extrapolating from there and saying, well, look at this snake imagery all over New York, uh, you know, clearly it's the same symbol as these ancient archetypal symbols for Pazuzu and et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's really stretching it quite a bit, but... I, I don't know. I, I feel like there was um, there was some good stuff in there enough enough that I wasn't groaning <laughs> too loudly, you know. The long well, silent pause <laughs> because I think you're becoming very serious. And the end, I still come back to the same thing when I listen to these events, and I've gone to quite a few over the years. And that is, who do they cater to, and what purpose do they serve, and what are your viewpoints about it, Doctor Sue? Hmm. Well, I guess I walked away from it thinking uh, those similar questions, you know, who is this really geared to? It kind of was preaching to the choir a lot of the time. And I know personally I walked away from it thinking absolutely something's going on and, and, and then a lot more questions, you know, many, many more questions, why and when and who, and, and, and it just goes on and on. So I came away feeling, I guess, um, more con- a little more confused and with many more questions that I went into the event with. Jeremy, um, I, you know, I sort of am the classic case of using humor as a defense mechanism. You know, I go into these things and, well, I'll go into these things. I've gone to two of them. This is my second one. But it's the same reaction I have, which is I've got to keep this a form of entertainment in my mind or I, I go crazy because it really, uh, when I see the crap, it really bothers me, probably on two levels. One, that, you know, this subject is uh, close to me personally, and so I don't like seeing that representing what is le- legitimate, you know, what, what I know for a fact is a legitimate subject. Um, but then the other one is probably, well, geez, if all these guys are full of it, then what am I? You know, there probably is an element of that, too. So, I don't know. Personally, for me, psychologically, that's sort of how I 
enter into these conferences, I guess. And do I learn anything new out of them? Yeah, I do. I, I because I think it does come back to the personal connections you make, and that even includes Dolan. You know, uh, it's not just the people that we meet who we've never heard of, but the people that you know, um, and you have private conversations with them, and then it's sort of reassuring because there are, you know, in the crap there there is uh, gold in the fool's gold, and. There are people with similar stories that you do believe, and so you, you feel reassured in that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of my takeaway. Sort of abstract, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> What's well, okay? Abstract is allowed, David. I probably have to echo what uh, Susan and Jeremy said. I mean, this is my third event, uh, and I think Susan's as well, yeah, because we have Jeremy's Culture of Contact last year. We have Pat Marcatilio's thing. Uh, that happened in Bordentown, in Jersey, where I spoke at. That was a strange, uh, strange experience. And then, and then this. Actually, no. And then there was uh, the X conference. So, God, this would be the fourth thing I've been at related to. Oh, geez, that's strange. Uh, I, it all comes down to really, for me, the personal connections. Uh, having a chance to to meet Rich and speak with him, like I did at the X conference, and again at this. Um, having an opportunity to see just how weird Jeremy is in person, which is uh, far weirder than he comes across uh, uh, on the air. I won't get into that, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no, this he's just he's a weird, weird monkey, that kid. Just a weird <laughs> monkey, you know. And, and you got to watch out when they bring the, the cheddar fries to him, like happened at that restaurant. He started trying to put the cheddar fries in that, in that girl's ears. And, you know, Jeremy, she was, like, offended by that. So you got to... It's not a way to... I'm right here. I'm right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right there. Thank goodness for that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I'm i looking forward to the next one. Maybe that means I'm a little strange and a bit of a masochist. But uh, I don't know. If I can if I can meet one interesting person, hear one interesting story, I mean, it almost seems worthwhile. You know, did I get any ant? Did I learn anything at this event that uh, gave me some insight into the phenomenon that I didn't have before? I don't know that I could could make that statement. Did I have a great time with Susan down in that wacky place that is Atlantic City with some of the saddest looking people there sitting in front of those uh, in front of those uh, slot machines? I mean, that is just if there is a hell, certainly it looks like Atlantic City on a Sunday morning. <laughs> in fact, oh. it might actually be hell. So. Uh, Oh yeah, and the uh, anybody who's going to stay at the Trump Plaza, uh, you can sort of skip the buffet downstairs. It's overpriced and it's it's not great food. So we should call Donald and say you're fired. <laughs> yeah, I Good think luck so. getting around the music though. Oh, I'm not even a hotel oh, geez, where there's no. just music playing in every room and every hallway. Everywhere you go, there's this crappy pop music. I just I didn't get that. Was that some sort of torture that they were doing? Oh, no, actually, I, I, well, yeah, actually it was. It's how to make you, like, lose your mind. And then, of course, there was that, that really fun moment when we were going up the escalator <laughs> the casino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to do live performance art to make Susan and Jeremy laugh pretty hard. Mm -hmm. It was fun. I'm all about the performance art, you know. So I guess just like Lynn Katai, I, too, want to be a performer. Well, David, next time. Are alive. All right, stop, 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 stop. That, on that note. What? Come I on, Jeremy. Let's go, man. Where's your guitar, David? What? Bring your guitar. Oh, jeez. Don't even start. Yeah, there we go. I'm going to do Hendrix after he died. <laughs> That's, of course, the best kind. You're going to channel Jimi Hendrix. Oh, jeez. Yeah, if only. Hmm. Please tell me we've run out of time now, because this is this is now just this is 
Actually, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> what you have been listening to, more or less, is kind of an informal discussion of, I guess, a social encounter, a UFO convention or event or conference or whatever. It took place in Atlantic City, and I wasn't there, okay? I am the objective observer because I wasn't there. So I, all that I know about this event is what David and Sue and Jeremy have told me. That's all you will ever know about this event, <laughs> probably. Hope it was enough. I think just listening to you three, oh. I can promise you that I will probably not be at next year's oh, New Jersey no. MUFON inaugural oh, Northeastern Conference. Oh, no, no, you got to come out for it. We'll get like a, a trailer thing, like an RV with Ritzman and you and Jeremy and Susan and myself and Billy Meyer because he makes a damn good <laughs> knockrushed. Look what I can do with an arm. Look, I can cut the onions with my arm. But I stir it all into the frying pan. Yeah. Have a hit of beer. You two will see beam ships. Look. You have enough beer, you'll see a lot of things. Oh, yeah, indeed. Okay, so we're not going to discuss the sessions where you imbibed after the events and the speeches. You know, this will be where I'll close out, and that is... Over the years, I've gone to dozens of UFO events. Most of the time, I don't listen to the speeches, the presentations, except a few carefully calculated cases where I want to hear someone I haven't heard before. Most of the time, it's all about socializing, and that's how it works for me. And maybe after listening to you guys, it's the same thing. And we'll be back with more of this or something unexpected next week on The Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.